good to have everybody back this week. So we have another opportunity to uh, study together and worship together a little bit later on. So we are working our way through the old law, trying to get a better understanding of it. And for the past few weeks, we've been looking at basic principles of the law, and we considered feast and sacrifices. And what we're going to be looking at today are purity laws. And this is going to be the unclean and uh, clean things that you can eat, you can touch, uh, how do you take care of yourself in a, a physical way, and then we'll get some, if we get that far, we'll get to the New Testament connections, although we'll have a session later on where we will see how the New Testament uses the Old Testament, but we'll try and make some connections along the way um, if we can. So when you think about these principles of the law and you think about the purity laws, uh, I started thinking about all the things that you can eat and you can't eat in those long list. Specifically, we're going to be going to Levit Leviticus uh, chapter 10 and working through a few chapters there. Um, and I've got a question for you in just a minute. But as I was thinking about these clean and unclean laws, what kept coming to my mind is uh, restaurant health scores. I don't know if you even look at those when you go to a restaurant. I try not to because they're very deceiving. Um, Deceiving as in, I'm still going to eat it either way if it's uh, food that I like and I don't want to be deceived and think about, ah, this might have been tainted back in the kitchen or something. But if you pay attention to those at all, uh, and also find it interesting when you go to places outside of the United States, there are no health codes, and I, I've had way better restaurants here with lower health codes than I've had in other countries. Um, in Henderson, Tennessee as well, I think it's a whole other country there that I don't think the health codes work at all. There was a barbecue place that there was a, a dog in the kitchen and they're like, oh yeah, that's, that's Rover. He just stays in here the whole time. Best smoked turkey that I've had from there at a barbecue place. I know. But um, you think about health codes and I just decided, I was like, you know, I'm going to pull up and just see some more recent ones that happened in Montgomery. And there was a news article that came out. And I won't tell you the restaurant um, just because I don't want to ruin your Sunday lunch if you decide to go there. But they had gotten a 47 uh, shut down for a little bit. I think they're back open for business, so uh, you don't have to worry about it at all. But just some things that may stick out. An uh, employee was handling cooked food with their bare hands. There was no employee with a manager's food safety certification at the establishment during the inspection, if that's important. An employee was handling food without proper hair restraints. Uh, open employee drinks were improperly stored in the food preparation area. Cut lettuce, sour cream, sh uh, shredded, shredded cheese, and pico de gallo, Mexican restaurant, so narrow that down, were between 47 to 54 degrees in a make table cooler. The cooked beans were not properly dated in the walk-in cooler. Several pans of food in the walk-in cooler were not covered, and a serving spoon handle was improperly stored in cooked rice, among other things like the ice machine that contained mold and other such fun things. So... That was halfway through the list. As I said, they got a 47, so uh, if you wanted to go find that WSFA article, you're welcome to. I don't know why it's Mexican restaurants that I end up looking at. There's one that I remember seeing where they had stored um, the salsa in a cleaning bucket. Um, I would still dip my chip. Like That's that's as much salsa as I need as a five-gallon bucket of salsa. Um, they just clean it out. It's fine. When I think about the purity laws... We have to go a little bit deeper than that. There's a little bit more, but I also think there are some basic principles that we can see from the Old Testament. What God was trying to help the Israelites do was to keep them safe. Um, as people have looked into the dietary laws and, and these regulations that the Israelites had, uh, they had speculated that if you were to follow their exact diet during this time, you could go anywhere in the world and be safe. If you followed their regulations, you could avoid a lot of the diseases, 
a lot of the um, bacteria that may be uh, brought up, and you might actually have some solutions for cleaning products and things along those lines that researchers have looked into the law now, and they're saying, oh, the basic thing that they had to wash themselves, which was, uh, you know, hyssop and, and ashes and water, is pretty much lye soap. And so when they'd wash in that, it would get rid of a lot of the uncleanliness. And so it's just practical use of these things. And I think it's so interesting that what God was telling them to do through all these commandments and all these laws, they seem burdensome to us. You might get to that part in the book of Leviticus and you think, all right, I'm just going to skip over because I don't care if they're eating a rock badger or not. I don't even know what that is necessarily, but let's just keep going. I have no concern about whether I should eat this locust or this grasshopper, but I do understand that I can. You just want to flip through those, you know, seven, eight chapters and then just get on to the next thing. And then we get to our next challenge, what we're going to see next week. But all these laws are there for a reason, and he was trying to teach them, and it wasn't just to keep them safe, and I think that was a major part of it, but it had a deeper spiritual meaning that was going to come later that Jesus is going to use as well to prepare us of how to deal with things that make us unclean more than just physical. We bring in our two basic principles. The law is an extension of God's nature. So if he's asking them to do something, he's going to teach them something. And this is where I like looking at these particular laws because it tells us about this separation between things that will defile us and things that are holy or help us along the way of maintaining our position of holiness. And these laws truly are an extension of God's nature. It's not just these are things that are unfavorable to him. He does have some abilities to tell us I don't want you to do this, I want you to do this. And they can seem arbitrary, but it had a, a bigger meaning along the way. And so the law in general is an extension of his nature. And if we want to love God and we want to put him first, we're going to do whatever he asks us to do. If that is, includes not eating something, not touching something, or avoiding certain situations, that's what we will continue to, to work through as well. So let's ask this and uh, kind of let you dig into it. And you might have something that comes to your mind. Why was God concerned about purity cleanliness. Uh, when I say that, it's not just, you know, we look at the word purity and maybe your mind goes automatically to sexual purity. And, and that's part of the, the later on teaching and understanding of it. But for our discussion this morning and what we're dealing with, we're talking about um, physical cleanliness um, and then the extension, of course, the spiritual side of it will come later. But we're looking at these laws. Why was God asking them to do this? Maybe flip through Leviticus 10 through 17, look at some of those laws that are mentioned. And I don't know, draw some more conclusions. What comes to your mind when you think about why God was concerned about purity? Health. health. Okay, we covered that. That. What are some of those uh, health concerns that come to your mind? Uh, maybe some of the foods that they were to actually avoid or situations. What are some of the health uh, things that come up? Yeah, pork. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's one of the biggest things that we talk about with the Jews, that they can't eat pork. Um, and there are a lot of infections that happen through um, pork. I think we've got that figured out now with uh, our bacon. We're, we're pretty much set. Um, but there were a lot of things that could happen if it was not treated correctly. And so anyways, they just kept it out of their camp uh, altogether. And they would look at other nations that had pork, had pigs, and, and it was unacceptable practice uh, to have those things around you. They focused on sheep and things along those lines. Okay, uh, what else? Maybe with the health or add something else. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the, the forerunner of these things being talking about cleanliness in our life um, with Jesus, that he's able to get rid of these things. But also there's going to be something else that comes up, a discussion about clean and unclean with particular people. Uh, and that's going to be a good connection there. Uh, what about all the laws about uh, leprosy? Why was God so concerned about leprosy? Two full chapters of it we're going to see. Why was he concerned about leprosy? Extremely contagious. Um, we've had some folks uh, that went to India, and they went to a leper colony. And you can see what leprosy does to the body. And, you know, we can read about it. We can see all these pictures about, you know, the flesh literally coming off the bone. And, and you've got people in a, a leper colony that uh, they're losing, you know, digits and hands and all these kind of things. And they just look in such a pitiful state. And that would get passed on. And so all the laws that we're going to see... He's like, look, you spot it, uh, you find what it looks like, and then you get it out of the camp as quickly as possible. And if you've got it, you run around unclean, unclean, you know, tell everybody, look, stay away, uh, so that it would not get passed, because that could, you know, create an entire issue for a group of people. And so very concerned about leprosy because of how it would spread and its impact on just the, the health and longevity. Um, how productive can you be? How does survival look when you've got nothing um, because your body is you know, literally falling apart. Um, there's a lot there. Anything else that comes to your mind that maybe we haven't discussed or brought up yet about why God was concerned about purity? Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest things that we're going to see is that this would separate the Israelites from other nations. Some of it was practices that other nations would have that were abominable, that you would not want to deal with at all. But if you saw these people with their particular set of dietary laws, they would stand out. I think it's really cool if you think about the Israelites living in Egypt for the 400 years that they were there. They were completely separated from the Egyptians. The Egyptians didn't like shepherds. And that's what they would do. Uh, there was not a lot of intermarrying. There was the looking at those other gods that were there, and the Israelites kind of struggled with that, as we saw very early on in their uh, Sinai experience. But they were separated, and they were almost contained in the middle of another nation. And that was a good training ground for them, so that when they went out into the land of Canaan, they would stand out from all these other people, and you could tell by their diet. You could tell by how they lived their life that it would separate them uh, all the things that we're dealing with with the law, it separated them from other nations. So people would look at them and say, there's something about you and your God, and I want to know more. That's a very good point. Yes, sir. Okay, so even a, a deeper um, psychological and uh, emotional connection, too, that you're going to see is that these dietary laws, um, it required self-control. You know, I look through these and I think about my diet. Uh, I checked my sugar level this morning, and it was not what it should have been. It was just arbitrary. We decided to look at it. Um, but it's because, you know, I look back at my diet and I think, okay, I have not been eating correctly, and that could have some disastrous consequences in my life. I don't have a lot of self-control when it comes to food. We had pizza last night at an event, and I can't tell you how many slices I had just because I enjoy it. But 
if there were certain things that I'm told not to eat, not to get around, it's going to take self-control because what is one of our basic natural things in life is that we have to have food. We have to have sustenance. Um, we need that. But if God comes in and says, yes, I know that that's one of the basic requirements that you need in life, and I'm going to put a cap on certain things. Not even talking about gluttony and things along those lines, but just saying you have to rein in your appetites. You have to rein in your passions, and food is one of them. Uh, some of our moral laws that we're going to be looking at next week, it reins in some of the other basic principles about sexuality and things along those lines. The, the basic nature of us as humans requires self-control, and this was an early teaching of that. And if you can maintain self-control here, you're going to be able to maintain self-control elsewhere. Um, that's a very good point. So, I said, you know, I brought up a few things, and y'all brought up some other great ideas. Um, and a lot of this maybe we won't be able to get to, but start making those connections and drawing these ideas out as you study. In uh, Mark chapter 7, I chose this verse just as a little bit of a, uh, a nod to what we will be doing tonight. Um, just a plug that tonight at 5 o'clock, if you would like to meet back up here in the fellowship hall, uh, we're going to be reading through the book of Mark. We're just going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read it all the way through. We've got some uh, different readers that are, uh, get up and share that with us, but uh, no discussion, just work through what the text says. Um, and one of the stories we're going to come across is in Mark chapter 7. You can also find this in the other synoptic gospels. I like the one that's in Matthew chapter 15, but I thought it'd be appropriate just for our discussion to look at Mark 7 and how it's worded here. But uh, let's read the verse and then uh, we'll uh, pull some things from here. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since... Whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The Pharisees were all concerned about these laws. How do you clean certain things? And part of Jesus' discussions with the Pharisees talks about them cleaning the outside of the cup, going through some of their, their laws about purification. Like, look, you don't go all the way down the road. You don't take this to its logical conclusion. But all these things that we're going to be seeing this morning, they had a greater teaching. Look at what uh, Jesus says. Uh, draw out some of the, the points that he makes here. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. It's not the food that goes in you. It's what comes out is what's going to get you in trouble. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters his, uh, does not enter his heart but his stomach and is expelled? But look, when we eat, we know the digestive process. You eat it, and eventually it's going to come out, but out of the heart. What is one of our key things that we see all through the book of Deuteronomy of what we are to protect and what the Word of God in the law during this time that it was to shore up the heart, mind, and soul? 
Those things working together. The heart needs to be correct. The soul needs to be aligned. All the, the mind needs to be focused on this because out of that is what is going to get you in trouble. Thus he declared all foods clean. So if you wanted to, to make a note, we have some other chapters we're going to see, some other teachings that come out of how do we know the dietary laws were done away and we don't have to follow them as Christians? Mark 7 is a good passage. And go ahead and underline that, make you a little notation. Maybe you want to put that at the beginning of Leviticus chapter 10. Uh, just go ahead and make you a notation about Mark 7 there that all foods are clean. Uh, so as we read these laws, Jesus solves that. And there's some other places as well. But he goes back, uh, just that last main point for us to see. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes these things. That's the key. But the dietary laws brought us to this point so we can understand what is clean and unclean and what we should deal with and what we should not touch. All these things so that we can see what a purified life looks like. Then you can take that to its extent. Talk about all types of purity, all types of uncleanliness. And we all started by just talking about what food we should or should not eat. So Jesus makes this connection for us. And I want to go ahead and put that um, before us. And then we'll go back and look at these Old Testament ideas. I thought it was interesting um, to look at Deuteronomy. And the dietary laws are not as expansive in the book of Deuteronomy as they are in Leviticus. But I thought this was a good passage for us to consider in Deuteronomy 23, verse 14. Look at what's said here concerning the cleanliness of the camp. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give, you up, uh, give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. That's a good passage talking about the, the cleanliness of the camp and what they are to be doing. And if you look at the context, starting in verse 9, what is he dealing with here? In verse 9, he says, when you go up against these other enemies, you make sure that your camp, as you're lodged against them, stays clean. Because if you don't take care of things, diseases and things can run rampant, and then your whole uh, ability to fight against your enemy is going to be diminished. You don't have as much strength. Um, but look at verse 12, the leading context in the verse 14. You shall have a place outside the camp, and you shall go out to it. And you shall have a trowel with your tools. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement. We just read uh, Mark chapter 7 where he's talking about this dietary process. You eat things and it's expelled. The Old Testament says here's what you do with the things that are expelled. You get that outside the camp and, and then what's the next thing that we get? Keep the camp clean because God's presence is there. You know, it's just a, a basic thing that we all go through biologically, but there's something bigger about God being in their presence. He said, look, if you're not going to listen to what I say, even about something like this, how are you going to handle any other spiritual matter? You can't handle a basic code like this to keep us safe and to keep you guys safe, rather. Then how are you going to get any other teaching? So I, don't know, I thought that was an interesting passage to go along with this about God's presence being in the midst of them. But it's this reoccurring theme that you're going to see is that uh, keeping the place clean and keeping the camp holy. A key phrase in the book of Leviticus is the word holy. Now, we saw in chapters 1 through 7 of Leviticus that it was about sacrifices. Um, two different perspectives. Chapters 1 through 6 dealt with people bringing their sacrifices to God, and there was the, the list of those uh, 5 to 7, depending on how that list breaks down. Uh, sacrifice people were to bring before the Lord. Chapters, uh, the latter half of chapter 6 through 7 is from the priest perspective. 
be looking for these things. When people bring their sacrifices to you, this is how you're to handle them. This is how you are to prepare them, uh, lay them open, uh, even removing of the ashes, everything along these lines. Here's how you take care of yourself. Those are the first seven chapters. Chapters 8 through 10 are the consecration of the priest. You know the rules about all the sacrifices. Now that you know what to do, now let's put them into practice and let's use them. So the priest had to go immediately after receiving these teachings and do sacrifices for themselves. They had the guilt and the sin and a burnt offering, and that prepped them correctly. And if you'll recall, what happens in Leviticus 10? What's that main situation in those first few verses? Two people will get themselves in trouble. Nadab and Abihu. Look, we're not far into this. We've covered the very basics of God's law about where to go and how the priests are to do certain things, and you get Nadab and Abihu, and what was their problem? Offered unauthorized fire. Look, we just laid down what you were supposed to do. I mean, we, we have very little, you know, about the true details of what the fire was like, and I just wonder, did they set it up somewhere else? Did they decide they were going to put it in a different place, they're going to let it die down? What exactly was this unauthorized fire? All we know is that they didn't go, do what God asked them to do, and this is like the consecration. This is before you can begin your priesthood. We covered the sacrifice that needed to be covered, and now you need to put them into practice. And then they failed, and they um, were killed because of it. And then we find the priestly line beyond that. But chapters 8 through 10, consecration of the priest. Then we have our next two big sections covering the end of the book. 11 through 17 are the purity laws, which we're going to be looking at this morning. And then 18 through 27 is morality. And we'll be looking at those next week and really a lot from Deuteronomy. But just know that's a basic little breakdown of the book of Leviticus if you want to see it. So early into this, let's go to Leviticus. I'm going to stumble over my words today, so y'all just let it go. Uh, Leviticus chapter 10. As he's teaching the priest. I'm going to start in verse 8, although I only have verse 10 up here. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout all of your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. As you go into these chapters, through uh, chapter 17, one of the jobs of the priest is to look at the cleanliness of people. Specifically, we have two full chapters about leprosy, where if you think you have a case of leprosy, you have to go to the priest, he's going to look at it, he's going to diagnose it, he's going to tell you come back in a couple of days, I mean, like a, a true doctor's visit, and looking at how it's progressed, and then determine if you need to go outside the camp or it's been removed. You had to go to the priest for this kind of education about what was happening. But think about the weight and the responsibility on the priest to be able to identify what is common, to identify what is unclean, and to make a call and say, that's not allowed here. Now, let's go ahead and bring some application to us because I just think it's, it's just right here in our face. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. One of our main responsibilities, and you can read through the New Testament letters that Paul writes and puts weight on the saints, those people that have been separated from among the people. We have been sanctified, set apart because we have the, the uncleanliness, we have the sin removed from us, and we stand out differently. I mean, just use all the things we talked about of the Israelites standing out separately. He says, you as the church, as the people of God, the temple of God, 
don't have sin among you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says a little leaven, leavens a whole lump. All things we talk about with unleavened bread, he says, you know, make sure that when you get ready for the, the Passover, you get ready for the feast of unleavened bread. Have no leaven among you. Because a little leaven, leavens a whole lump, and it'll get you in trouble. And he uses that in application in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's in the middle of a book where the Corinthian church has allowed sin to come in. He said, what are you doing? It's like having in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he deals with this. He's like, it's like bringing in the body and joining it together with a prostitute. He said, what purpose does the church have with things of the world? We are not to judge the world but what, according to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 into chapter 6? Ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is within you? Reference back 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says you are the temple of God. Our responsibility to each other, to the church, is to hold each other accountable. It's not that we walk around and talk about, you got sin, and you've got sin, and you need to get out of here, don't be here. If I see someone struggling, I want to help them. If we see somebody that is going through one of these diseases, and we're in this part, we've got to protect ourselves, but we want to also take care of you. We want to see you taken care of and provided for. That's got to be our mentality. And the world will see how we handle each other. The world will see our deeds of love. I mean, I, I can't study this without going ahead and drawing those applications to us. We've got to be able to call sin what it is, but also deal with it effectively, speaking the truth in love. But as uh, we go back to our context here in Le Le Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 10, the priest had the responsibility. You need to know what you're looking for. You need to know what to call it and how to deal with it effectively. It's very important. Yep. So, yeah, um, Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus is talking about how to deal with a situation of sin, you, if someone offends you, you go to them one-on-one, -on -one, you bring witnesses with you, um, and eventually you bring it before the church, and then you go from there and you find the separation. But then you think about an eldership and the responsibility there as well. They are shepherding the flock, keeping, you know, overseeing them and keeping account of them. Yeah, that's absolutely a major part of it. And that's a big responsibility, which is why we pray continually for you guys, for you elders, um, because of that responsibility. But a great application as well, another uh, section of it to consider. As you read through these uh, these laws about cleanliness and purity, two things stuck out to me. Some of the things that you come in contact with, um, given a certain amount of time, or you had to wait just a certain amount of time, and given when that has passed by, then you are considered clean. So if you touch something, you came in contact with something, just wait until evening, and then you'll be fine. So some things make you unclean for a time. But then there's something else that I, you start noticing as you read through Leviticus. Some things make you, make you unclean and you need time and sacrifice. When the Levites started off their priesthood, they had to separate themselves, prepare themselves, consecrate themselves so they could help other people work through this. 
And if they know all the details about the sacrifices, they know all the details and responsibilities given to them, then they're going to be able to help people that come to them that need assistance. And one of the things, if you come in contact with something or you do something, you have to wait a certain amount of time, but then you need to know what kind of sacrifices to bring. So depending on what the situation is, are you bringing a guilt offering? Are you bringing a burnt offering? Are you bringing a peace offering? What exactly are you, you doing because of what you have experienced? The priest had to have that knowledge. So these two things stick out. Yeah. Okay, so very good. Um, back to Leviticus chapter 10, um, starting in verse 9. Drink no wine or strong drink, you and your sons with you, when you go into the temple of meeting, lest you die. Um, how far do we take that with us today and understand uh, that? A lot of great passages come to mind. Um, I think about the book of Proverbs that talks about you know, the, the cup of wine, um, those strong drinks, unwise to even go down that because they turn you into something or somebody uh, that is completely contrary to what God wants you to be. So on a wisdom scale, there's a lot there, but then you go to the New Testament and you find all the verses that not getting drunk, not going down that path because that's going to lead you further and further away from God. Um, and it's being separated. Just in a practical, observable way, look at the way our world handles alcohol and the way they turn to it and then what Christianity looks like separated from it. You've got a practical, you've got wisdom, you've got commands, all of those together. I think there's a lot to learn here, and that's a very good observation um, from here. Yeah, so if you're on if you have strong drink in your body, you're drunk, you're, you are not sober, you can't think clearly, how are you going to be able to help people? I mean, <laughs> that is a huge thing for us to think about. Is if we're not thinking clearly, anything has clouded our judgment. I mean, it is, put it in the practical sense as well as theological and all those kind of things. Uh, really good points. Thank you. Yes, sir.
so to narrow down Josh's comment, um, he's talking about, I wonder in context, as you go from starting in verse 1 about Nadab and Abihu of chapter 10, that with them offering unauthorized fire, their judgment was skewed. To what extent was it something like this? We don't know. But clearly something got them off track. And that you carry that same teaching further on that, look, you need to pay attention to what's happening in front of you. Um, whatever happened with Nadab and Abihu, they made their own judgment call. Let's not, uh, let's not enhance the possibility of us making wrong judgment calls by something like this. Um, so uh, good points from there. So as you look at these offenses and the resolutions to them, these are the things that stick out. And let's uh, look at some of these sections. So uh, chapter 11 deals with the safe foods that you can eat. And we're, we're not going to read through that list. Um, and you can look at each one of them and decide uh, where, you know, what they were exactly. There's some foreign words in there that um, don't quite know what those animals are. I just want to break it down very simply uh, to draw out an idea. There's three main sections, uh, categories, I guess, of things that you need to know what you can eat and what you can't eat. When it comes to the land, the waters, and the heavens. You know, where do you see that same kind of language? Back in creation, in Genesis chapter 1, after God in the, the first few days prepares the environment, prepare, uh, prepares the habitation, then he fills it. And you've got animals in the water, you've got animals on the land, you've got animals in the heavens. And he just puts them in three categories. And like, okay, you're talking about the ones that were created on this day, here's things you need to look for. Things that were created on this day, here's things you need to look for. Um, and even in a practical sense, when he talks about how to, to work with humans and what uh, the path you shouldn't go down. But I don't know, I just thought that was a just a cool little connection of Genesis chapter 1. Just those three main categories. And he lays them out that way. And he talks about the, the animals that swarm and do all this kind of stuff. But if you go to the end of chapter 11, verse 46. If you look at each one of the sections, you can break down um, Leviticus 10 through uh, chapter 18, but 17. There's some of those headings at the end of those uh, big sections, and it words something along this line. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. These are the rules so you can distinguish between them. Um, so the safe foods, he's just telling them, look, look for this type of animal. Uh, don't go after this one. And then we can see from a practical side, some of them cause diseases, um, maybe some practices that were going on around them, that stuff that they should avoid. I think all that comes out with this. But if you go back through each one of these, if you touch something that's dead or maybe the carcass comes in contact with your clothing or something like that, it will say, you are unclean until evening. This is one of those, if you look at the timestamp, if I eat something or I touch something, what is the, the unclean factor here? Um, how do I handle a situation like this? And the, the safe foods, it has a way for you to deal with it, even all, down to you know, putting it in your mouth, but also just touching it, coming in contact with it. Um, but look for those section headings, in, like in verse uh, 46 and 47, it says, this is the law about whatever he's going to be dealing with. So as you go on beyond these, though, just to progress through this discussion, if you look at the heading, like I've got the ESV starting uh, chapter 12, and chapter 12 is small, and it talks about purification after childbirth. We see some applications of this 
uh, all the way through the new Te- uh, all the way through the Bible about after somebody gives birth, how long do they wait and bringing children back, all of these things. But it's our first introduction to this idea that when somebody becomes unclean, you then turn around and bring sacrifices to God. Um, like in verse uh, chapter twelve, verse six. And when the days of her purity are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering, a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. You're going to see those two terms, burnt offering and sin offering. Go back to Leviticus 1 through 6, and you've got the teaching about, oh, okay, this is why I'm bringing that. This is why I'm bringing this. Um, And you present both of them. And he talks about after childbirth, after having a son or a daughter, here are the rules that go along with it. But you get... This first idea of when you become unclean because you're going through this process, you bring something with you. The cases of uncleanliness needed sacrifice and atonement. Look at uh, chapter 12, verse 8. It talks about burnt offering and the sin offering, the very last paragraph, uh, the very last sentence of the chapter. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. The word atonement is very important for all the things that we're going to be seeing. There's going to be a chapter in just a second we're going to see where you can link every time you see the word atonement, you're going to come back to Leviticus chapter 16. If if you're already making notes there, just put Leviticus 16, you're going to find the day of atonement, and there's something very special there. Uh, But we'll be there in a second. So the next hair has uh, this look to it or a bump. It's just disgusting. Think about how that would produce, and the weight of the the Levites, but also the next chapter in Leviticus 14 talks about how you become cleansed. What sacrifices do you bring back and how do you help in this situation? What do you look for to know that they're actually clean? And then you bring praise and honor to God. You can read all those chapters if you want to get into that and see it. Uh, But even talks about houses becoming clean, clothing, anything that comes in contact with leprosy, here's how you deal with it. But I thought this was interesting. In uh, Leviticus 14, towards the end of it, verses 54 through 57, another connection. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for a leprous disease in a garment or in a house, and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot to show when it's unclean and when it's clean. This is the law for leprous disease. So there's our ending bookend category for these things. This is what you're looking for, but there's also a solution for it as well. Did it pop up for you? Okay. But I want to take it one step further to look at something um, in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 5, brought it back up. Luke chapter 5, 12 through 16. Jesus comes in contact with a leprous man. It says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. I thought this was interesting as you think about what's happening in Luke chapter 5. This man has leprosy. Everybody knows about it. You can tell when something's going on. He's cleansed, and he goes back to the priest as a proof. I love finding pieces of evidence. I love finding pieces of proof of Jesus and his divinity and his power as the Son of God. This man 
should have been waiting a certain amount of time, should be uh, bringing certain sacrifices, which he's going to, and it's cleansed. And he's going back, and the priest is going to look at him. What is the priest going to find? This is abnormal. It's not abnormal that you were healed of a disease. That would happen given time. But I wonder how close this man had been to being, you know, run out by the priest and having to go outside the camp and coming to Jesus asking for help. And now the proof is awesome. That shows I came in contact with Jesus. And he would have to go to a desolate place and because people are coming to him and wanting to be healed. I just thought that was a cool idea for us to see. A couple other things just as we go uh, real quick through um, the rest of these verses. Sir? Right. Yeah, so uh, just how Jesus comes in contact with him and many other people that would have caused Jesus to be unclean, but he fixes all those problems. Um, Good point there. At the end of the leprosy section, um, just another driving point about leprosy and how to get it cleansed. In Leviticus 15, verse 31, Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanliness, lest they die in their uncleanliness by defiling uh, my tabernacle that's in their midst. Translate that over to sin and its place in the church and among the, the brothers and sisters, it has no place. Even things that, that you know, destroy the, the clothing. And, um, you know, anything that comes in contact with something that is disease, I think about avoid all appearances of evil, all kinds of things that can lead us away from God. So as you go through these purity laws, I find it very interesting that you get to chapter 16 in Leviticus, and it's about the Day of Atonement. You know, it's that day where the priests can go into the presence of God behind the, the second veil um, and into the, you know, the second section behind the veil into the most holy of holies. And it's in the presence of God. He has to prepare himself in a certain way, put on a certain type of clothing, get all these you know, animals together. A whole process. You can read chapter uh, 16 and get that whole picture of what that would look like once a year coming in. But the Day of Atonement is important. And here's why. Here's some things you'll find in the chapter. Leviticus 16, verse 16. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. You got a group of people and you got all the unclean. They're actually outside the camp. They can't be there. But what does he say about just people in general that he's trying to teach them a greater lesson about uncleanliness of sin? He said the tabernacle, the presence of God is in the midst. And when things are working properly and the people are coming there seeking atonement, seeking correction with God, he will cleanse not just that area, but the people. And so once a year, they would come for this. And what do we get when we go to Hebrews chapter 8? You don't have to keep coming with all these sacrifices over and over again because there has been one sacrifice that makes us clean to be able to stand in the presence of God. We have been forgiven. We have been atoned for. Leviticus 16, 29 through 34, a little bit longer of a section. I'll read from here in case it goes out. Um, there's our timer. But um, look at verse 32. We'll just jump in the middle. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated 
as priest in your father's place, shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priest and for all people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever. That atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. We go from dietary, we go from physical, and we have to think about this in a bigger spiritual setting. The, the atonement and all those sacrifices, it was to make things clean. Do you see Jesus' blood present in all these? Do you see how it impacts us as the church? I hope you do. So appreciate you guys studying that. I uh, look forward to next week and we'll talk about the moral laws.